you're like a superstar because everybody who's on the jetties watching comes down and wants to take a picture with your fish. Like they want to hold the fish and act like they caught it. And then they like are clapping and everything whenever you reel the fish in. All right, folks, welcome to the podcast. Um, we have the esteemed John Blaha here this morning joining myself and Captain Chris Bush. Chris, thank you so much for joining yeah. the podcast. No problem, man. No problem. This is awesome. Yeah, well, let's do it. Thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've been trying to do this for a while. The stars did not align. Christmas got in the way. And uh, anyways, we're making it happen now. Yeah. So, um, no worries. Glad to do it. And, and uh, again, thanks for jumping in on this. Uh, give us give us your background. What do you do? Day job? Uh, yeah, a little history on yourself. Yeah, sure. So uh, originally born and raised in, in New Orleans, Louisiana. And so um, growing up there, just fishing the Delta, really we had a camp in uh, Port South Louisiana towards Venice. And so just growing up fishing the, the Delta there in, in New Orleans and getting to learn those waters. Well, my dad is a, a huge trout fisherman. And to say huge is, is an understatement. That's really what he lives for and if you asked him that that'd be the case but um ever since i was a young boy just learning the delta speckled trout has always been that that kind of species that's really driven us now uh growing up you know <clears throat> in new orleans i got my commission from lsu and then i joined the uh, air force so became a commission officer now 14 years ago it's kind of crazy and I'd think that that's been the case, but the Air Force has been pretty good to us, uh, my family and I. And so <clears throat> we, uh, we've traveled around. We've lived in a, a bunch of different places. And so the good thing about it is outside of, like, living in Korea, which was one year and a couple of deployments, the Air Force has allowed us to kind of move around to states that have had pretty much close access to speckled trout fishing. So our first was in South Carolina. We lived in Sumter, uh, South Carolina. And so I traveled down to Charleston and got to learn that estuary, fish a lot in Georgia. And then uh, from there, we then moved down to Biloxi, Mississippi. We lived there for four years. And so going through school, I got my charter license. And when I came back to Biloxi, I reestablished my guide business. And so my dad, when he retired as an auto mechanic, he became a guide as well. So kind of being close to the nucleus, right, to where I grew up, I was still able to get back uh, to Louisiana and reestablish my guide business there. So um, four years, the Air Force said it's time to move. And so they pushed us over to San Antonio the first time. This is back in 2013. And so we lived in San Antonio, and that's when really um, – yeah, started learning the Texas coast and going down there. And so uh, we then moved over to Florida and lived on the east coast of Florida and fished the Indian River Lagoon, mm-hmm. and Mosquito Sweet. Lagoon areas, and uh, Fort Pierce, and even shot up to Jacksonville and fished with a, a good buddy of mine, Eddie Cabler. And so uh, now we we have moved back to San Antonio as, as we're sitting here. And uh, so it's kind of nice to, again, live close to uh, those, uh, yeah, speckled trout fisheries. So the Air Force has been pretty good to me. But I am an Air Force officer, believe it or not. It feels like I live two separate lives at times. <laughs> so you're like a double captain, right? Okay. Is that how that I'm works? A, I'm a major, oh, major in the Air okay. Force, yeah. <laughs> and so, but I'm a captain, uh, U.S. Yeah, Coast Guard. Good. So it's it's really weird. And the funny thing is, is like 
my day-to-day job, you know, most of my troops and people I work with have absolutely zero idea that I actually fish at all or have like, you know, the speck of truth and all these other things. You're a normal person. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then so when they actually find out about like, oh, okay. And so, yeah, it's kind of like the two lives live separately, but uh, it's been a lot of work to kind of really infuse the two kind of where we go and wherever we move. So, yeah, married, I have three kids, and so they're nine, six, and two, and just trying to get them on the water as well yeah. where we can, you know. So, so you, um, do you know what your final final stint will be? Will be? I mean, what's your what's your game plan moving moving forward? You know, wait to get the kids out of college type of thing. I wish or I could tell you. You know, the Air Force is in its infinite wisdom. Uh, obviously, holds those cards, and being an Air Force officer is really. Uh, it's really tough, you know, because you really lose more and more say of kind of where you want to go. The great part about it would be is if we could stay here, we have four, like six more years in the Air Force. So mm-hmm. 20 years, get retirement, you know, and then kind of go from there. That would be that would be pretty cool. My cousin. What's up, Jacob? My cousin um, was Air Force officer as well. He, yeah. lo- he, he loved it because um, uh, they sent him to Colorado. He oh, yeah. He no in doubt. Colorado, and he didn't have to. Uh, travel more than uh, I think two, twice. Um, mm-hmm. This is good for him too. Really good experience, yeah. military experience. So you, uh, avid fisherman, grew up fishing. Father taught you the ropes, I assume. Yep. So uh, growing up um, in the Delta, what kind of what kind of fishing did y'all mostly do? I mean, I don't assume you're you're waiting, right? You're just you're so the. The Louisiana estuary is really unique. If you've been there, um, you'll attest to that. But the Louisiana Delta and the Mississippi River, and it's just really unique. That's all I can say. So you have, like, barrier islands, but then you have the interior marsh. And then there's, you know, the tide has some flux and, and it has some influence. But really, the river is the lifeblood of that estuary. And so really, well, first off, again, we, we chase nothing but trout. Like redfish were garbage Everything else was garbage, right? If it was coming over the gunnels, it better be a trout, son. That's what he'd tell me. <laughs> and so, um, I feel the same way. <laughs> right. And so even now, he'll, like, hook up to a redfish and, like, oh, he's, like, popping his line. Most people are like, oh, my God, you know. But uh, that's kind of how I grew up. And so fishing those estuaries, we had, a, we had a camp in Port Sulphur, but we really moved around the estuary. So if you're familiar with the southeast from Shell Beach, even in a Lake Pond, Pontchartrain Basin, you know, jigging the bridges right there and at the causeway and the trestles, and then fishing over on the east side of the delta, which would be kind of your Shell Beach, Delacroix, and then if you came south, what we didn't fish a whole lot, honestly, was Venice. So it's pretty much everything around that, because when he was a little, little boy, he grew up in a camp in Cocodry. Mm. So really from Cocodry all the way to Lake Pontchartrain Basin, it encapsulated the entire delta. The great part about that is, and having a dad that's versed in that was he was able to teach me to like fish conditions and that was I didn't understand at the time because again we had a camp but yet we're trailing the boat to Delacroix I'm like why are we going yeah we can literally like lower the boat in the slip and then go there but uh he said son you know fit you know wind's been blowing out the east all that river water's blowing over to the west side of the delta let's go ahead and see if we find some clean water and get on some trout and so we've perpetually adapted uh, throughout that entire, um, yeah, just growing up. So now it's kind of in, in a bigger picture is now as I, I move around and go from estuary to estuary, 
uh, I take really the fundamentals that he taught me of just trying to find these, you know, foundational things like bait, clean water, et cetera, et cetera, and apply them on a much larger scale. So, you know, lived in Florida before we came back to San Antonio, you know, open the book. Okay. What do we need to learn? And so, yeah, we would look at a map and then start kind of doing the footwork and the legwork, but the foundation of finding those key components was, was, was big, but you know, we also wade fish a lot in the Barrier Islands, Chandelier, mm-hmm. uh, the Barrier Islands outside of Empire and Port Sulphur. So we did a lot of surf fishing, if you will, uh, there, which is a lot different than, you know, surf fishing here in the Texas coast. But it was it was their, their kind of version of wade fishing. But those fish in that estuary, they would actually pull out when the salinity is high. They'd spawn and they'd pull back into the estuary because it's such a large nursery. Mm-hmm. And there's such a, a huge, vast um, environment for them, you know? And so those fish are just perpetually following the bait and, uh, it's pretty awesome. So, yeah, we, uh, we've been fortunate to fish chandeliers a couple of times together, I guess, at least one time. I fished it twice. Yeah, once twice. With yeah. Once and, with uh, that's yeah. a cool place. Yeah. I mean, one of the, uh, most memorable trips that I've had was when I was a little kid, probably like 10 or so. Um, my uncle actually, Uncle Alvin, so my, again, my dad was an auto mechanic, and him and my uncle had a, their shop. And uh, he had a larger boat, so we'd launch out of Shell Beach, and we'd go fish the the uh, Chandelier Islands. And we, I remember, like, just like it was yesterday, we were fishing Grand Gosha, which is on the southern tip of of, uh, of the Chandelier uh, set. And that was really my first introduction to wade fishing, was wade fishing out in this big, vast uh, area, and we just caught just a ton of trout and I remember my uncle getting chased out of the water by a shark and not really having a full understanding of kind of what was going on I'm like what's everybody doing but it was uh ever since then it's really just a a love of the game ever since you know being a little boy so I think that's probably something that the I think if you look at most of the guys that really truly get into the fishing I think probably the big majority of them is because of their father or their family or uncle or big brother somebody they've uh they've brought them into the into the sport and at a young age i mean i, I can remember you know me and dad you know, dad loaded me up when we yeah. were five six years old and off to the bays we went so yeah and so the the cool thing about speckled truth and i think what we're we're trying to make it a part of is the fact that one of our key statements in our mission statement is you know enjoying the experience and so Understanding how critical it was as a father and a son to to create that bond and fish together. We not only want to teach people how to catch speckled trout, but we want them to really enjoy it. And, it, and, and it's so much more meaningful because if you can do it as a father and a son, that's even better because that relationship just is developing and it's obviously longstanding because of that love for the outdoors, you know? Well, let's, let's jump into it since... Since we brought it up, now. the speckled truth. <laughs> yeah, sorry. No, that's oh, okay. No. This is that's the whole point of the podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> so this is perfect. Um, your, your your double life is is uh, about um, the speckled truth. Your blog, the the, you know, the mission. So run us through the mission, um, and and I guess what your goals are with the speckled truth. And kind of just r- roll that into trout conservation and yeah, sure. and the importance of teaching our kids that. Yeah, sure. So in 2013, when I moved to Biloxi, um, it was really about targeting trophy trout. And that 
it was even a little bit beforehand, before I commissioned and graduated, uh, I caught, we were wade fishing Chelan Pass, and I caught a 7.2-pound trout, 27-inch, just right outside. And I remember that distinctly because as growing up as spout, speckle trout fisherman, you know, catching limits and limits of fish, and as long as it was 12 inches and it came over the gunnel, it was going in the box. And I remember still having that love for fishing. But when I held that giant fish, and even though it still went in the box, I remember holding that that fish and really having a – it was like a magnitude times 10 of a, of a more uh, appreciation for a fishery. And so when I kind of moved back, right, to uh, Biloxi and being close to that environment again, that's when I was like, you know what, I really want to start targeting big fish. So I was kind of documenting that journey, if you will, and that's how Speckle Truth really came up because that's when – yeah, I started writing about kind of that that thought process and, and shift in mindset, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, so the mission that we have is is capture the experience. So we do that through picture, through photography, through videography, um, developing, developing as an angler. So we teach. We have teachable moments where, again, adjusting the conditions, um, you know, lure presentation and technique, and then developing and creating and conservation so we promote catch and release throughout our uh, our blog so if you look at our pages our social media what we write about again it's all about conserving the resource and so the programs that we offer as well as part of the speck of truth really are getting after learning more about the resource and naturally how to take care of it so that's really what the speck of truth is about that's how it started and then that's kind of where we're going so where we see ourselves going is really um, just, again, continuing to create that platform for conservation. So we're okay with people catching and keeping fish. What we say is we talk about self-discipline conservation. So the limit in Louisiana is 25 per person per day. But if you fish for three, four days a week, do you really need 25 fish per person? You know, so we shouldn't allow legislation to tell us what we truly need. Instead, if we were a little bit more self-discipline in what we took from the resource, then I think we can kind of police ourselves. So we're not like pro total catch and release, uh, but instead we're more about that self-discipline conservation, which is just really take what you need and release the rest. That's really in line with this thing that uh, CCA National and uh, Texas are promoting, which is a website called Release Sense. And it's all about safe catch and release, yep. learning about the fish, keeping what you need and what you want for that day or, or for the, you know, for the, um, brief moments after that, but you don't necessarily have to keep them all nope. all the time. You know, no. let's let some return. Let it, let it, I mean, just, you know, I mean, I'm fortunate. I live on the coast, so I live yeah. 10 minutes to a handful of boat ramps. And, uh, so I can, you know, I don't want to eat frozen fish, you know? No. And, and fair and, enough. And, and, but you know, you haven't been to coastal. Well, I want to keep a few fish. Keep a few fish. Like you said, we don't we don't need to keep you know ten or five. You know you don't need to keep five trip fish every single time you go out. We like again. I kind of go back to growing up, but we would and, and I think it's maybe a model of our industry to some extent now of nowadays. But like we would go launch the boat, catch a limit of speckled trout, and throw them in a box as fast as we could only because it was maybe self-fulfilling for us although we would go home and like call neighbors hey do you want these get some fish yeah, yeah. exactly yeah, yeah. so 
then you start really thinking about, well, why did I actually just keep an entire ice chest full of fish? Well, now with social media, really, I think a lot of people just catch them to post a picture with a wheelbarrow full of trout versus do you really truly need them? And that's where like the focus on a trophy trout is really the key because they're beautiful. And so with one single huge fish, which is impressive enough, and then watching that fish swim away, and until you actually do it personally, it's it's hard to even kind of um, understand that that relationship you have with that fish. And so, you know, we again we're just trying to get back to do you truly need it instead of being fed by social media or by your own self fulfilling needs? Like take what you need, release the rest, be self disciplined, conserve the resource. That's what we, again we try to get at. Yeah. Well, you know, we are probably more so with the younger generation than the older. Uh, ladies and gentlemen but we're so much of a look at me society now with with social media so if we can change that mindset to say hey look at me i caught this beautiful fish and i let it go spawn another time you know, that's where we need to get to we're, we're trying to make conservation cool yeah uh, exactly to, to some extent uh, exactly it's, it's and it's i think it's an evolution of anglers you know i think we've all got friends i got friends you know you can talk about yourself you know yeah in the younger days and i got friends when the limits changed you know to uh, when the limits change down to uh, uh, you know five fish, oh, that's the most horrible thing. I can't believe y'all would even support that. Well, you know what are y'all doing? And now you know a couple of them they get mad if you want to keep a few fish to take home. And yeah. It's like you know they don't necessarily eat fish all the time, but hey, you know it, it's evolution. It's a personal responsibility. And I'll throw another one out there. It's a personal responsibility on these guides to push that to their customers and that and i've said this for a long time that's going to be the biggest help is when these guys are educating their customers to do this and, and it grows from there um some of them buy into it some of them want yeah. to have that stringer to throw up there and i get it i understand they're sure. promoting their business and stuff but at the same time you know my personal belief is there's a little bit of a, a responsibility on them to to educate their customers to take care of the resource as well. Sure. So my, my dad, I'm sorry to believe the point, but my dad, and, and again, he, he's, he's a, obviously a pretty critical figure in my life, but um, here's a man who grew up with no limits in Louisiana mm-hmm. and kept literally ice chests full of trout with my grandfather to a dad who then had two boys, myself uh, there, where, again, if it came over the gunnels and it was 12 inches, it was going the box. That's what he was taught. That's what he was teaching us. Towards the latter part of his life, though, in the last, like, really five to seven years, that's when my dad's really made, a, I think, a decision where he's like, you know what, it's time for me to give back to the resource. So he got involved with Tag Louisiana, which was a tagging initiative. Uh, now it's a CCA-run uh, organization. And what, what he did is he started tagging and releasing trout. Well, he tagged 12,000 trout over five years. Wow. So he, again, he, he's a, he's a speckled trout man and, and that's what he lives to do. But the thing is, is that you had a, a, a man who grew up with a certain mindset and as the latter part of his life kind of came into, he realized, you know what, it's time for me to actually give back to the resource. So just tagging and releasing fish and that way scientists and, and fisheries management can then get some of that recapture data and see kind of what's going on. That's kind of his legacy that he wants to leave. So part of me and, and kind of what the speckled truth is, I don't want to let him down. You know, I mean, if he's a 73-year-old man hobbling in and out of a boat every day and, and making this kind of his life purpose, man, I, I need to carry on that legacy. And so 
not only is that, but I want to pass that, again, that relationship, that bond that we have in that fishery to others. And I think maybe we're gaining a little bit of traction, but that's really, you know, going back to what is the that's what it's about is right there. So I want, I want to jump back real quick. You, you hinted at it, but what's, like, how did you get from being, just being passionate about it and, and, and you're really detail-oriented about it as well. But how did you get from having this knowledge and this passion about it to the point to where you wanted to share it with the the community in an online format and a social format? I mean, yeah. did you, was that a conscious decision that was just, okay, I'm going to do this, or was it just like a slow evolution? Yeah, it was a slow evolution if I had to, yeah. Uh, only because when I was documenting this stuff, I had no idea that it was going to turn into like an LLC and – now kind of what it's grown into instead it was kind of again more kind of like a diary blogish type thing and so when more and more people and the inspiring thing that i think really kind of just kept perpetuating was when people would be like hey dude i used to be like go out and be like you and now you know i'm, I'm releasing a few or if i see people post on my wall or share a message and i have a fish that you know yesterday i got a message from a commercial guy in mississippi um, of him releasing a trout. I oh, mean, that's, that, that's, that's the impact, right? <laughs> no, I'm progress. serious. I mean, yeah. now granted, you know, I mean, commercial season for speckled trout isn't there, but this is a guy who, you know, he, he understands that there's some value in taking care of yeah. a resource because that's his livelihood, you know? Mm -hmm. And so Absolutely. when he makes it a point to message me and say, Hey, I'm doing this because you are kind of an influence in that. And that's, how can you not be inspired to yeah. just keep doing it? You know? And so that, that's the fuel that just keeps it going. And so, yeah, I guess that hopefully it answers. No, no, question. for sure. Yeah. And, and so with, within the speckled truth, you let's, let's go into your, your citation program. So talk about the, okay. the dirty 30 or 27 <laughs> for some States. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It's all, why that, that difference is there. And then just what, what yeah, it is. Sure. So we created these, uh, actually last year we created one program. And so that was the dirty 30 program. And so, the Dirty 30 program is for really any estuary that has uh, a speckled trout fishery, which I just realized Maryland has one. I always thought it kind of started at Virginia and came all the way to South Texas, but I've been messaged by some Maryland fishermen. They're both on the Chesapeake. So yeah, yeah, and so I didn't quite, I guess, truly understand that. But, yeah, I mean, they catch some pretty solid fish. But yep. the idea is that the Dirty 30 is, you know, 30 inches has always been that magical mark, right? And so... That's like legendary status if you can put that feather in your cap to have a 30-inch fish. And so, but then we go, you know, I started thinking, like, how many 30-inch fish are truly caught in a year? Like, it's just a simple question. And so, to get after it a little bit was I created a sticker. It's called Dirty 30, you know, or it's a Dirty 30 uh, logo. And Sweet logo, by the way. <laughs> the graphics are great, yeah, man. Yeah. It, that was Ethan Manning. He's a guy in Mississippi who did that. And so... Um, he just created a little bit of logo, and so we shot it off to a, a sticker manufacturer, and they came back to us. And anybody who registers a 30-inch trout, it's got to have, like, measurement evidence because some people will fudge it, right? But on the same token is, is we, we validate it, and so we're just trying to get a, an understanding of how many 30-inch fish are there. And so by getting that data, we're trying to not only understand, you know, what makes those fish eat because there's some notional things that we have in terms of, you know, when big trout are caught and how they're caught and, you know, but then, so how many, how many fish were caught and registered, you know, kind of where were they caught and then, um, whether or not they're released. So there's some kind of conservation component there too. And so we're just trying to offer an incentive for folks to just, uh, do that now. So this year 
the Dirty 30 program has grown a little bit. And so we have some really awesome program supporters now with the Dirty 30 program. If you submit the same thing, which is free totally, uh, we will send you kind of like it's a box. It's like a mystery tackle box theme, if you will. But it's our own program supporters. Who from, are? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, sure. So it's okay. So <laughs> it's K Wigglers, uh, Down South Lures. Uh, Cajun Lures, uh, Captain Lane's Mad Minnow, Death Grip Jig Heads, Eye Strike, um, Slayer Ink Lures, let me see, uh, Pure Flats Fishing, I'm trying to think of them all right now, because uh, My Coast Outdoors, which we like your control descent, um, Egret uh, Baits, so I'm probably missing one. And that's Is it all? <laughs> <laughs> um, not really, that's but um, anyway, the, the, the short of it is, is for a free entry into this, you get like a $60 box. It's free. Not yeah. only that, but you get a Dirty 30 sticker and some other things. A highly sought after Dirty 30 sticker, right? Yeah. So we actually had one guy in, in St. Augustine. Uh, he submitted one last year and then he shot it to us, uh, a, a, a post and he actually framed it. And, <laughs> and so I'll write like a handwritten letter too. Yeah. And so he took the envelope, he took the, uh, the actual letter and he took the sticker and he framed all three of them. It was pretty cool. cool. So, but then we, so we're like, okay, with these dirty 30 programs, like not, there are not a lot of 30 inch trout in the Mississippi estuary or Louisiana estuary. So, but I think it's still a tangible relevant data point, which is a 27 inch trout in Mississippi is like a 30 inch trout in Texas. So let's open the aperture a little bit and grow our data set that much more so we created state trophy trout citation programs and so what we did is we created a state sticker for each state so from virginia all the way to texas if you submit a 27 inch trout uh, or 27 inch plus trout up to 30 inches we'll send you the the citation sticker for that particular state and so um yeah we've gotten a pretty good now you don't get the box with that one but that's been a really good response and the idea is we're trying to better understand the feeding habits and, and their their data points right for these for these uh for these big kind of trophy class of fish so we just want the data that's all we want yeah. so yeah um yeah that's our our programs what's your what's your end game with the data i mean you want to publish no a book or is it i mean what's your end game there i want to better understand our those that that class of fish um and so I'll, I'll go on kind of some things that we're thinking of, and we've made a few posts about this. So last year, um, last year we had uh, 57 entries into the Dirty 30 program. And so we started dissecting that. And it's always, as an artificial-only guy, um, I've always thought that really big trout, 30-inch trout, it can really, like, winter time is it, right? I mean, that's what most wade fishermen live for is winter time. And that's when most people see like these big trophy class of fish coming out. So by tracking them throughout the entire year, we found that across the four, I guess, quarters, if you will, cause it starts in October and ends in September, um, throughout those, you know, four quarters, it was actually pretty even across the board. And so what I also found was, is that in that winter time frame, so from October, really to about the January time frame, that's when a lot of 30 inch or let's that's when the majority of 30 inch trout were caught by artificial only guys. And in and around the February, March time frame, 
you start to see at least the angling method because we, we, we track that as well. The angling method shifts a little bit to live bait. And what we found was is a little bit those artificial only guys, all but I think like two were released or all, all but two were actually caught and kept. And those were both for tournaments. And then when you came around through the, uh, the kind of the more warmer months of the year, what you found is a lot of live bait guys, the, the mortality rate and folks catching and keeping those fish, um, they went up a little bit. So maybe we're seeing a, a relationship between just an angler and an, and an animal, you know, in that relationship of trying to take care of that. Or are we seeing just a shift? So another thing we were thinking of was, okay, you know, moon phase. We always think of moon phases as being one of those dictators of whether or not those big trout eat because they eat in small windows and this, that, and the other thing. And so we got after that a little bit. And we found that pretty much 87% of the, the trout came on a full or a new moon. So all these notions that we had as anglers were kind of backing up with tangible, like, data. And so... That's what we, we're just nerds, I guess, in that respect. <laughs> so, like, this year, um, I just made a post yesterday. Um, but we have 61 entries into both programs this year. So, 12 in the Dirty 30. And then, I, I'm not very good at math. I don't want you to do it right now. But uh, others in the Trophy Trout Citation Program. In Texas alone, there were 35 entries into the Trophy Trout Citation Program. And of those... Uh, 35, I want to say it was 22 of them were caught in a fat boy. And then not only that, um, you really didn't see that trend happen until uh, the latter or the middle, middle of November. So we're seeing either two things. One, anglers just, there's a truth and a myth to corky season. Or we're actually physically seeing, backed up by data, um, the trout shifting their diet from either small shellfish or small fin fish to maybe a larger diet of larger fin fish. So, yeah. I mean, it's little things like that that we're able to kind of start dissecting now. To get back to your, to, I guess, your main point or question is where do you see us going with that? Um, with the actual programs, we want to just continue to grow them and just grow that data set. And ultimately, you know, if, it, if, if organizations can use that data, mm-hmm. And that catch data and that record data um, to better manage our fishery, maybe, um, again, kind of manage that kind of subspecies of big at, big trout. Oh, that's <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, We've had Billy Sanifer on here before. Yeah, yeah so. <laughs> You're in safe um, space. <laughs> yeah, good, good. Um, it would be cool, you know, so that's kind of, I think, where we want to go with it. I don't want to publish anything, to yeah. be honest with you. I, I don't. I thought about it. Um, but we're, we're seeing some other trends that I think are, are, are pretty cool. And, and so uh, I want to write a book, but not necessarily on those particular right. programs and how to catch them, but more so on kind of that experience of, of targeting and the, and the, the effort and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, I imagine it's – I mean, if, you, if there are secrets to be unlocked and you unlock a secret as a conservationist and, and someone that wants to protect the resource, you have to be – careful with sure. how you use that so yeah so we're pretty pretty close i think i'm knocking a pretty big one yeah. and so um we're just super mindful of you know dive divesting and divulging that information and could it be profitable yeah i'm sure but not to, for me uh we've made too much investment in the actual fishery for us to just kind of sell it like that you know and so you know i don't want to 
uh, of course you want to equip people, you know, with that, but on the same token as we don't want it to be the detriment of the resource as well. So right. we're just trying to be mindful and we're students of the game, just like everybody else, you know? And so we're just continuing to learn, um, again, just how to target trophy fish. And so you keep saying we, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's was, what I was about uh, to throw out there. Yeah. So, uh, again, at 13, it was all me. And then, uh, in 2016, uh, I was joined by a really good friend. He's actually a air army national guard. He's a helicopter mechanic. His name is uh, Kyle John Johnson, and he owns a, uh, a company. It's called Operculum um, Media, and what he does is he does a lot of digital and photography or, or uh, video and, and photography. And so I was just posting cell phone, you know, videos and pictures, and it was very, um, yeah, very raw to say that, you know, the least. But what he did is he's like, hey, man, I could help, you know, polish that image a little bit. Let me do some editing of photos and editing of of uh videos and so he's done that so kyle's an integral part of uh of the of speckle truth and then so then we started selling apparel because we had these the dirty 30 and trophy trout so that has an inherent cost with that and so uh we started selling apparel off of our shopify site and that became really really labor intensive so edward crumb who's also he's an army civil or uh, air force civil service guy stationed at keesler um, he does all the shipping and all the tracking and stuff like that. So, and then the last part of our crew is he's a charter captain out of Florida in Florida Panhandle. Uh, his name is Keith Morrison and he's really been one of our first like followers. And so we've just developed this long standing relationship. And so he's just been an integral part. Yeah. So he helps with like boat shows and creates a little bit of content here and there. So great guy. Cool. And your data set that you're collecting, do y'all? Uh, do you record water depth? No. And, and the reason I asked, uh, I had the opportunity to fish with uh, Cliff Webb uh, the Friday before Christmas, and me and Robbie Byers went, and uh, actually Robbie had a fabulous day. He had two over eight pounds within about 15 minutes. No kidding. But He's a registered in the trophy jobs. At the Cliff, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's got a picture, doesn't he? Yeah, I've got pictures of both of them but but uh no they're not measuring stick but anyway cliff made the comment I, i'm trying to remember i want to say the number is like 78 percent of his what he considers trophy trout have been in you know a little less than thigh deep and or you know thigh to sure. knee you know knee deep and shallower yeah so I, I would i would back that up with you know, understanding that the majority of our fish, so 45 of the 57 last year, were registered in the state of Texas, <clears throat> having fished in the state of Texas for a couple of years. And Mike McBride, Trisha Whitley, is they're my mentors um, in understanding, I guess, trophy trout as a result of them um, and, and catching a bunch myself is it's generally the colder it gets, the, the more shallower they, they kind of is where you can find them, you know. And so um, – I didn't quite realize that when I lived in Mississippi because that's pre-Texas, mm -hmm. but I was wade fishing at night in the wintertime, and a lot of the trout that I caught over five pounds were all in about waist deep or less water right. on those warming trends, mm -hmm. you know, mullet obviously being present, and that was that was a key, but I would definitely back that up. But, you know, in, in our North Carolina, so they had six entries thus far. Um, 
I'm not super familiar with that North Carolina fishery, but it's a river inlet and, and it's got some more rivers and bayous and stuff like that. But I'd be interested to see if those are caught in, on ledges or flats associated with deep drops or, or whatever, you know. So um, that'd be interesting to see. Well, nice. And vice versa, the dead heat of the summer, Yep. try to go move out deep where it's cooler. Last summer, middle of July, and we're catching dang good fish in yeah. shin deep water in the middle of the day. So the, I mean, they they retreat to yeah. refuges when it gets really cold. They well, yeah. When it's get, I think when it gets crazy, like yeah, super I'm, I'm talking cold for long periods. I, I just of time, want to make that distinguish. Yeah. Like, long periods of time, I'm, I'm sure they probably see yeah. you know refuge in like the intercoastal or something like that. But I think I think those bigger class of fish, I mean, they're pretty hardy, and I, I think. Again, we're talking, you know, 27 or plus. I mean, I've seen redfish on, on flats when it's super-duper cold, and um, I've seen trout right there with them because I think they're just as hardy. As long as that mullet's there and that bait source is there, those fish will pull up. Now, if it's, again, if it's a long period of time where they're it's super cold, well, everything's going to fall off. Then they're yeah. going to fall off, yeah. yeah. But if you got a really couple really cold days, they might pull off slightly, but they'll, they won't be too far behind. I don't know. So I just another one of those. That's one of those, one of those data points trying to so, find that big fish. Good, good. That's a really good point though, because in in February with the dirty thirty from last year, is we had I think six registered in the month of February and four in March. Those are typically March can be a crapshoot, but February is obviously typically the coldest month of the year. And what we found is even though there were still fish registered it wasn't as patterned as much to the moons as it was. And I didn't go back and look at the environmental data when those fish were caught, but there was, that was probably the greater variance to the moon phase. So it wasn't caught on a full or a new or even around it. It was kind of just caught in, you know, the waning globulus or the waxing or whatever. It doesn't matter. But I think it might've been more environmental than anything. So maybe those fish had a warming trend in that month of February and they just pulled up and now they were accessible. You know. do, you, do you see obvious declines during like bait transition times no. of the year? No. Mm -mm. Nope. So it, it was even across the board. I wish I'd have brought that data, but it was almost even across all mm. four quarters. Almost dead even. Interesting. It was just the method of harvest that really that changed. changed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Any what's the next step? Do you have a next step? I mean, you want to take Expand, for speckled truth, yeah. For speckled truth, expand kind of your online and social presence, yeah. or um, so we, take this on the road to fishing shows. I mean, do you already attend some? We, we do. So uh, we're doing Biloxi Boat Show again. That's kind of where it started. We did it last year, and we bought a booth. <laughs> I bought it with my own money because I didn't have my LLC yet. So I bought my, I bought a six hundred dollar booth, and the lady who I was trying to like who owned the boat show, she's like, so what's your company name? I'm like, well, we don't really company, but the name's called Speckle Truth. And she's like, well, what are you selling? I'm like, we don't really have anything to sell because all we want to do is, because we're an online community, so we want to relate to our our followers. You know, we want them to know that we're, we're people and we're trying and we're, you know, we're doing this thing. And so we want to shake hands. We want to talk trout fishing. We don't want to sit behind a booth, try to sell you on a lure or a rod or whatever it is. Instead, we're there, like, there are no dumb questions. Come talk to us literally about speckled trout fishing because we love it. And so we did like some seminars there. We did some spots and TV shows. And what we found is when they opened the doors, we, oh, oh, I totally forgot that. But we actually had a 285-gallon tank. 
um, that we went and caught three uh, five-pound trout in Mississippi waters week, like that week, and put them in there. And so um, the um, Gulf Coast Research Lab, what they did is they supplied the saltwater because we had a mutual friend who I actually used to wade fish next to, and I didn't realize he became the director of Gulf Coast Gulf Coast Research Lab. So he provided the the saltwater support and everything else. But we had a 285 gallon tank, and we had three uh, five pound plus trout in there. And uh, what they, the Gulf Coast Research Lab, then did was take those trout, and then they were going to go brood them and capture those genetics. So uh, we figured, you know, if we're going to go into this thing, let's do it big. And so if we're going to teach talk to people about conservation what better way to do that than yeah, literally have to look have, at right have right. three of them and then not only that but like you know we're trying to teach people how to target trophy trout and to back that up we have three of them that we just literally caught and so we we finished morning noon and night for two days prior to the event and and we ended up catching you know those three but man it was such a huge draw and so <laughs> you know we, we were packed and we were just talking with people and the, the owner of the boat show is like, are you coming back next year? We're like, yes, man. She's like, we'll gift you a booth. And we're like, okay. Awesome. So they did. Sweet. They Sweet. did this year. So our goal next year is actually do the Houston Fishing Show. Okay. Um, you know, so we're trying to step it up. This year we partnered with Mossy Oak because uh, they're an apparel line company. They're launching their thing. And really it's no conflict of interest because we have zero brand affiliation in the fishing industry. But in apparel is a little different story. And, and outside of that, you know, they're a, they're a company that really bases, you know, their core values around conservation. So we're trying to partner with companies like that. And if they can get on board with some of these larger companies, eventually we'd love to, you know, we, we have a very small niche in the inshore market. We realize that, but we have a really solid following and a credible following, I, f- I believe that we've developed. And so if, you know, bigger companies wanted to tap into that um we could provide that inshore content so Mm -hmm. they'd ultimately pay us to to do that so i'm writing uh this year i started my actually next month will be my first column uh in louisiana sports and i'm writing a trophy trout column in uh the louisiana sportsman so that'll be out for print and then uh we're just going to continue to keep producing uh content so so on, on the website, I got it pulled up here. You, you know, you, you've you've got the shop, um, you've got what you're about. You've got you've got the blog, and uh, several blog posts on there. And you go into some pretty detail oriented aspects of catching trout. So, what are some what are some things that you learned that are just total game changers when it comes to fishing for trout with artificial lures? Um, so coming to Texas was a, a huge a revelation for me especially fishing with Mike. Uh, so that was back in 2013, fishing with Mike, um, just had a mutual friend, just booked him as a charter, ultimately became really good friends. And him, my dad are like buddies. He calls them Peepaw. And <laughs> they banter back and forth. It's hilarious. He's, so, got, he's got a name for everybody. Yes, he does. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, I just developed a relationship. And so I remember it. we were in Port Mansfield. It was dead calm, believe it or not. And it was like the water temp was 48 degrees. And we were riding around, and uh, we were looking for bait and having no familiarization with the lower Laguna Madre and having fish like the Corpus area and stuff like that. But when we were riding around, I was shocked to see those big fish pulled up despite such cold conditions because growing up, um, 
again, kind of always thought to fish deep, you know, and so, and we did, and we caught smaller trout, but never the, really the bigger ones. So now seeing it with my own two eyes, those big fish pulled up, then it starts to kind of register that maybe these fish are just totally unique and different. So that's when I started kind of just targeting different parts of the water column. But really the biggest thing in terms of, you know, technique and approach is really not, it's technique to some extent, but it's really the work you do outside of that. And that is understanding moon phase and solar activity. If you're not understanding those two and how they correlate to, to feed windows and, 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 and those fish eating and, and being more predictable, I, I really think you're spinning your wheels. And so for me as a guy now living in San Antonio, who can used to fish five days a week, now fish is five days a month. Um, now I'm looking at a, a monthly tide chart with cellular activity and majors and minors and then going, okay, if I'm going to fish five days a, a month, I'm going to go these days. And I'm going to like cash in those chips with my boss at work and the wife and, and everything else and say, I'm going to go fish these days. And, and so, you know, it's, it's actually been paying off to some extent. And so, um, but that, I, I would say probably the work outside of actually fishing itself. Now having, you know, the experience to read the water and make those adjustments is key, but I think it all dictates some kind of understanding that moon phase, how it's, you know, responding to the water and water depth and whether it's pulling in or out. Um, and then obviously those majors and minors and being in those right spots during those times, mm -hmm. just it, it increases, it stacks the odds in your favor tremendously. So picking your windows. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I just go to go, but it, I, I ought to put a whole lot of planning yeah. into my fishing trips. But for someone that is targeted at once to select this fishery, it makes total sense. So, I mean, I went with, you know, Ian, uh, we went this past weekend and we went to East Matagorda Bay. And so for me to drive from here to East Matagorda Bay, I got to wake up at 145 in the morning mm -hmm. and, and drive there. But again, I don't mind doing the, the leg work and the effort because we're on a new moon. We got a great major, kind of midday major. We got an early morning minor. Uh, this could be, if I'm going to catch another 30 inch trial, it's going to be it, you know? And so... You got to, that didn't pan out and that's okay, but I felt like I put all the effort I could into doing that. Now, the trip before that, when we went to East Matagorda Bay, similar situation, it was quite opposite where we landed a 29, a 28 and a half, a 27, three quarter, just an epic day, a couple mm -hmm. over six, you know, and so, but if you can really, again, look at a, a calendar and go, okay, these are it, especially if your guy doesn't fish all the time, all the time. And, and be on the water all that time, um, that's when you need yeah. to do the, the leg work. Yeah. And technique's big, too. I mean, uh, you know, Louisiana anglers, they, all they do is throw popping corks and, you know, and, and underneath that popping cork, throw an artificial. You know, I mean, although it's effective in catching, you know, numbers of fish, if you want to target big fish, you have to be adaptable. You have to learn to fish, you know, corkies and top water and uh obviously other different techniques you know and so yeah. you have to be more versed in that respect but that's just through experience you have a lot of followers on online like what's your you have instagram facebook how do people look you up and yeah, sure. get involved socially um, so facebook yeah it's just speckle truth we're i think we're at like twelve thousand followers so it we're we're still small we get it, it but i mean we're growing every day and that's that's huge and um Instagram, we have our, our following there, and so I think we're, we're nearing 6,000 again, which is, you know, it, it's not, you know, huge, but on the same token as, again, we're growing every day, and that's okay. And 
we, we never really started out to be that way. Mm-hmm. And so we're okay as long as we continue to grow. But it's really those messages we still continue to get of, hey, man, you know, we appreciate all you're doing for the fishery. It's pretty awesome. And, you know, we support it. And, you know, I've changed because of, as a result of you guys or, or whatever it is. That's, that's more valuable than money. Yeah. yeah it's, just, it's, it's a love for the resource. Yes, sir. And, and like I said, you, something you've grown up with. And we all evolve, you know, to, yeah. to a different level. So some take longer than others. Yes, sir. I mean, this thing, I mean, you're, you're speckled trout right but i mean there, there's other uh very relatable fisheries in other parts of the country that this oh yeah you know you yeah. could uh expand this too yeah um, sure and not, not just inland you know you could uh, it could be coastal um, but it's the passion man yeah like yeah. so if i had a passion for catching redfish we call it redfish rumors <laughs> <laughs> no it's actually that's that's a mcbrideism right there you know it's like hey you got another redfish I'm gonna start calling you Redfish Rumors. You know? <laughs> hey, that sounds I'll like a bar. That sounds me, like man. a bar somewhere down there. Yeah, damn, Redfish cost me thirty bucks this weekend. About twenty minutes. <laughs> yeah, tearing the taco and corkies. Oh so god, good. they were destroying them. Mm. Yep, yep, yes, sir. But no, I mean it, it would be, you know, I mean it, it it could grow, you know, to where, you know, inland trout resources or you know other fisheries that are around you know, adopting a similar mentality in terms of conservation efforts and understanding a resource and being that in tune with that resource and, and not only being in tune with that resource, but in being in tune with the people that enjoy and participate and, and spend money in that yeah. resource. That's well, I, 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 the argument could be, could be made that you, the mindset is already there. It's just, I, I'm not aware. I mean, there certainly could be programs out there like this that yeah. kind of give you some incentive and reward. But, um, I, th- I think you, that conservation mindset is just a little more prevalent in inland fisheries than it is yeah. with coastal. It's coming along with coastal fisheries catch and releases, but yeah. it's already there inshore, inland, I mean. Yes, sir. Um, did we get everything in that you <laughs> wanted to get yeah, in? I'm good. Yeah, yeah. whatever y'all yeah. have any, if y'all have anything else. Well, it, uh, you know, to me, it, it's a benefit from, because, you know, you're pushing that message to take care of our resource, and it's another part of that education I mean, CCA and other organizations can preach it every day, but when we have our peers starting to preach it, and you know, I'll go back to the our buddies and you know, speckled truth, the guides, as we as our peer, it's going to come from our peers, and that's how this is going to grow. And I think that's how the bass, the the mindset in the bass bass world grew is from the peers, and yeah. and um, I don't know if you can. Yeah, obviously the organization gets the information out there and that type of deal. But when the peers start pushing it, that's when we see those changes. Sure, and it's a concerted effort. Yeah. I mean, at the Biloxi Boat Show, I mean, we had we had a huge group that was around our booth all day. I mean, we had other vendors like, Are y'all, what are y'all giving away? Like, what are y'all doing? <laughs> and it, it's unfortunate, you know, but CCA was, you know, one row over. And, I mean, they're they're preaching the same message. But really, we're preaching we're preaching the same message. And so, you know, this year we're trying to get a booth next to CCA. And Gulf Coast Research Lab is going to be helping with the tank management and the fish management at the at the show. So, although we're kind of carrying out the message and connecting with the people, we're still kind of carrying on that same message just through different avenues. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And so, 
man, what better, like you said, I mean, what better way to get after it than not only organizations, you know, getting after it, but now peers, like yeah. living, breathing, waiting right next to you, et cetera, et cetera, talking that same message, you know. You, so you, you've got to fish East Matagorda twice. You fished most, like you said, most time Corpus area. And, Corpus, and south. Yeah, have you, have you done any Galveston Bay system or no. Sabine Bay system? Mm-mm. Nope. That's, uh, I'd love to get over there. Uh, and fish the west side of my own state. Never fish Big Lake or anything like that. I love to fish Sabine, mm-hmm. you know, and, and kind of get over there. Know a couple guys over there and stuff. And um, I just haven't fished it. I've, it's kind of weird because I've literally fished everywhere else from South Carolina. Yeah, from South Carolina all the way down to Lower Laguna Madre, other than like those notable big fish fisheries, which would be Big Lake and Sabine and Galveston. You know, it's kind of intimidating. Um, I, I, could, I would think for for someone that new to an area to um to have to hey i want to go fishing but i don't know how or where to go so you've been around yes. you've had to do that yeah uh, you got any pointers for any any uh new fishermen out there that are uh or people that want to fish some new waters yeah so i mean it depends on your angling experience but if you're a, a pretty versed angler and you're just in a different estuary and yourself just trust your gut and then uh just take a look at your, you know, your maps and stuff like that. Get an understanding of uh, the obvious, you know, geographical area. But outside of that, just use what, what you've been taught. Use what you have confidence in and and fish what you uh, – or, or read the water with what you would kind of relate back to. So I'm always fishing thinking about how it relates to somewhere else, right? And so, you know, um, it's very different, you know. So if I'm in Mississippi, I'm like, man – I'm fishing a rock stretch that is very similar to what I fished in Jacksonville. Okay, and so now I'm going to throw a jerk bait down this rock stretch because I caught him in Jacksonville, you know, doing the same thing. And so now I, I have confidence in my angling method and that technique. So if you're going to a nef- different estuary and you have some, some relatable, um, you know, thoughts that you have from that generate confidence in your angling ability, just use that. Yeah. I always tell people they ask me where I should go and like I'm some good fisherman which I'm not but I, I'm like dude just drive down the beach highway yeah. and look for the trucks where they're parked and then, that's <laughs> a enough. good walking spot right yeah, there sure. <laughs> just, you know but you know okay you look at a map and you go okay there's a deep water um, ledge nearby you know has access to deep water is a flat looks like grass on that flat I'm just gonna go park and start walking okay you get out yeah. there you start walking you might catch a red fish or two or maybe a small trout or something now you could at least go, okay, there's fish holding on this. So now you you broaden your aperture, you look back at your map, and you go, okay, there's another deep water access point with a flat nearby. I'm going to go walk that now because I know this worked. That's probably going to have to work, but maybe that's a strikeout. And so you just keep growing that yeah. that knowledge base more and more every time. And so, But it goes back to just the fundamentals. Yeah, I think patterns patterns transcend from each part of the coast to each part of the coast. So. Yes, sir. And if you can afford it, book a guide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's invaluable. Absolutely. Yep. All right, John, any con- concluders? No, I, I really appreciate you coming out, Chris. And uh, Thanks, John. Uh, pay, a little, pay more attention to your site. I've seen it pop up. And, uh, you know, maybe more people will take part of it and be a part of that database. And, and Could you be in the program? Have you caught a 30-incher? Uh I've got one I think might have been thirty, but I didn't put it on tape. But he was he was right there. So yeah. I'm only half an inch shy. Are you? Yeah. 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 
So I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm going to keep working at it. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, some there are there are a lot of really good anglers out there. I mean, I'm not one of them trying to get to that and aspire to that level, but, I mean, there are some really, really phenomenal anglers. And, and one of those that I actually got to fish with was Doc J. Wright. He lives outside of Orlando, okay. mm-hmm. and so he's been a follower of the page. He loves what we're doing with Dirty 30. But Doc J. Wright, having fished the Texas Estuary, we have something in common. He's like, hey, man, come hop on my Hell's Bay. Let's go fish Mosquito Lagoon. Okay. So I know Jay Wright, and if you're not familiar with Jay Wright, is a three-time IGFA world record holder on fly uh, for speckled trout, to include his most recent, which was a a nine-pound trout on (laughs) two-pound. On two-pound, wow. (laughs) That just got certified. So here's the thing, though, is like fishing with him for a day, oh, my gosh. One, a, a humble guy. Hey, Chris, what do you think about, you know, uh, targeting in this area? Hey, you know, here's my thoughts, you know, but this is a guy who's been there, done that, you know, very, very uh, versed in kind of targeting big fish, but yet still asking my opinion instead of like just this is how we're going to fish it, right. you know. And so, but then just the dialogue all day, but those are the types of guys that follow us, right? Those credible guys, you know, Bruce Balls of the world, the, you know, captains that we have out there that, Man, are, have been integral figures that are still participating in our programs and supporting what we do. I mean, that's that's huge for us because that, that's our fishery, you know. That yeah. So, but yeah, Doc J. Wright got the got the fish. It was amazing. Yeah, he's a, he's a phenomenal fisherman. So. Well, I'm gonna put this. And we're we're on air, but I'm gonna put this out there. You're in San Antonio. We've got a very active chapter here in San Antonio. I bet they'd like to hear him come talk. I, I'm that's sitting here thinking the same thing. I think it'd be a, a cool general membership meeting for sure. Just come out and talk about the program. Talk, you know, just again the main message. I, I, it's kind of my little thing is peer to peer. Yes, sir. And that's what that pushes it. And this is a great opportunity. So yeah, yeah that's yeah. that'll be one of my emails this evening. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, thanks for the invite and just having having me on here. Um, I, again, I can't say thanks enough for just allowing me to, to be a part of it. I, I am. So, uh, the speckletruth.com. Yeah. Right. Speckletruth.com. Yeah. Speckletruth.com. And, um, uh, Facebook is speckletruth. Speckle Instagram. Speckletruth. Speckletruth. Speckle underscore truth or whatever. Yeah, underscore, it is. Okay. No Twitter or anything right. like that. That's, that's good. Yeah. We're, so we're trying People to get angry. Yeah. <laughs> We're trying to grow YouTube this year. Um, obviously, we still got a lot of things to do in terms of a business standpoint, but you know, I mean, we're just trying to just grow the message, and that's, I think, it's coming quicker, right? So we got to eventually catch up. But man, you know, we just love it, and so again, it's like a, a second full-time job. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, man, as y'all develop your your videos, especially if they relate to safe catch and release, or just just hints and tactics that people can do to. Uh, employ to um get that fish back in the water where it's it's gonna it's gonna continue living we'd love to Please be share. able to share that if, if, if you want to share it because um, that's beneficial to our entire community and uh, what we're pushing as well so yeah i'd be remiss too i totally forgot eric botnick's gonna kill me but for the dirty 30 <laughs> program mirror lore is one of our our supporters there so i don't know how i forgot mirror lore but anyway sorry about that no that's okay that's okay um You've got some great supporters, and for good reason. Yes, sir. You're, you're onto something admirable and uh, it's a worthy 
worthy venture. Yes, sir. All right, dude. Appreciate you. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Take care.